Welcome to Brainstorium. I'm Anna Tissard, award-winning dream punk and deeply weird fantasy author. And yes, that's me and my fiction that's deeply weird. Explore and imagine with me the most unexpected story ideas using the surrealist word game of Exquisite Corpse. Find out more and join in at anatizard.com. This is a storytelling challenge unlike anything you've tried before. Hello imaginative people, I'm Anna Tizard and this is episode 23 of Brainstorium. I hope you're feeling well and inspired, but if you are or if you're not, today I plan to inspire you even more with some unique new story ideas and some thoughts to chew on on the practice of creative writing. Now, since episode 22, I've carried on drafting the story I mentioned back then about the diamond thief, still all on paper since my laptop was being cared for, shall we say, when I began. Um, But I've carried on writing on paper and now I can properly let it rest for maybe two to three weeks, maybe more. This very messy patchwork I've handwritten And then the editing process, once I get to it, will be so much more thorough because I'll be typing it up at the same time as editing. And I always think that moving something from one format to another like that between drafts does encourage me to be more selective and potentially to make up more new parts as I do so rather than just tweak things a little bit here, a little bit there, as I might be tempted to do if it was already all typed up. But of course, if I had typed it up from the start, worked on laptop or computer in the first instance, the whole process would have been quicker. There is always going to be advantages and disadvantages to whatever method you end up using. But it was quite nice to go back to my old method of paper then to screen, just as an experiment. I shall see how well this has worked for this particular story in the fullness of time. But of course, I also had to have a go at one of the exquisite corpses that came up in the last show. The one I felt most intrigued by was the severe fog rolls down the hillside with the future dog. It's just so strange and it feels kind of atmospheric with this fog on a hillside. I wondered what would cause a future dog to come tumbling down with it and what is a future dog anyway? To start with, I tried just writing a scene, no more questions asked, just imagining and letting my pen move across the page. Somehow, As I do this, my subconscious mind will fill in the gaps. That's the plan anyway. And it's generally what happens, at least up to a point. So I imagined a young woman who works in an office not far from that hillside. And there she is, sitting on the hillside in the early misty morning. She's shivering, 
Perhaps it's October and the weather has only just really changed in the last few weeks. She's come prepared with a cushion in a plastic bag so she can sit there on the hillside without getting soaked by dewy grass. Waiting for a fog to emerge from the trees, the trees just behind her. Why? What is this bizarre image? And who is she? What is she doing there? I decided that her name is Jade and she and her flatmate, who also works in the offices nearby, perhaps that's how they first met, um, they've become interested in some kind of earth magic. Now I hesitated here because I thought that the most obvious thing to call it would be witchcraft, but that feels a little bit dark and in my mind it takes away some of the mystery in the reader's mind because they already have so many images and ideas about what that might mean. Anyway, Jade and her friend and colleague, Chloe, are dabbling in something they don't really understand and it feels new and strange and unknown. Prior to the scene I'm trying to write, they've been to the library, maybe Chloe was the one to pick up or stumble across a book on runes or some kind of earth magic, something to do with trees, I think. It feels quite pagan, but for some reason, my mind kept holding back from giving this a firm definition at this stage. I'm thinking maybe I need to know some other things first before that comes clear. I already feel like Chloe's the more outgoing one, enthusiastic, chivying Jade along to try these different things. They've gone for walks through the forest near their work at lunchtime, marked signs in the ground, meditated under the trees, listening for something. But in this first scene, as we see uh, Jade on the, on the hillside, waiting for this fog, or whatever it is that looks like a fog, Chloe hasn't turned up. I've decided she's not a morning person. Maybe they're expecting to cast a spell or that some magic will emerge at this particular time from the trees that they've spent so much time with. And it's just a matter of waiting or meditating here, listening and watching. And this is where my mind darts forward to the phrase future dog. And I have to work out what that is to know what's gonna happen next. So as I was writing the scene um, on the hillside, well, I'm not on a hillside, Jade is, um, this is when I got kind of stuck and I pulled away from the scene that I was writing to try and brainstorm Future Dog on its own. So I wondered if the magic they're involved in, uh, trying to conjure up, is something to do with predicting the future. They desperately want to know something, but what? Something to do with their future careers, if they feel stuck in their office jobs, or is it to do with their love life, um, the men of their dreams? Or maybe it's just one of them who desperately wants to know that and the other one's not bothered. Whatever they're expecting or hoping for, a future dog is the misty vision that Jade gets 
as she sits on that hillside shivering. But again, what is the future dog? And I have to work this out to be able to push the story forward. So what I did was I stepped away from my scene writing to sort of jot down notes instead um, to try and work, work out what this is. The first example I thought of is the most obvious, is that one of them is going to get a pet dog. Now, this isn't a very interesting idea. Um, usually your first ideas might not be, so that's okay, but I just had to see that through. I just had to write that down to get it out of the way. Um, and I asked myself, how could this be integrated into high stakes for either of the characters? And I, I just couldn't think of anything. Then, of course, my mind went a little bit silly and I thought, what if this future dog is um, that Chloe is going to turn into a dog? Now, that's completely bonkers. But I still, again, I had to just write it down to get it out of my mind and just explore it just in case it led to anything relatively sensible that I could write a story about, um, which I didn't really think I could. But my idea anyway, I'll tell you anyway, is um, maybe maybe there's a, it's like a warning about using this type of magic. Um, it can transform you. It can do dangerous things. Is it really witchcraft? Maybe with this particular one, I'm thinking, yeah. But story-wise, I was thinking, how would you begin this then? Um, and I was thinking, what if Chloe at the beginning is complaining about how complicated her life is? Oh, if only life could be more simple. Um, well, if she gets turned into a dog somehow, life will be an awful lot simpler for her, but not in a way that she'd actually hoped for. Okay, so ultra silly idea out of the way. <laughs> so number three, my third idea. It seemed a lot like number one to start with because I just felt drawn again to the idea of both of them or one of them adopting a dog, but actually a grown dog, not a puppy. And I was thinking how to make this interesting. In a realistic or non-magical story, this very real dog, um, well, becomes a very real dog when it actually happens, um, might lead them into another story about a very real life story of the previous owner of that dog. And I started to wonder what if that previous owner had died and that's why it was put up for adoption. But the dog, when they get the real dog, uh, when they adopt him, it gives them he gives them signs somehow, drops clues that tell them that the previous owner was actually murdered. And they find themselves investigating a very dark past. Now, I suppose I was thinking along the lines of if this is um, if we're taking this magical or fantastical version, um, of, of this, it might involve a ghost or even the murdered person's spirit is in the dog. That would be quite weird. Or it, this is the severe fog. That is the ghost that tumbles down the hill. If, if a fog can be said to tumble. What's the original? It says roll, rolls down the hill. And in fact, that actually resolves 
the exquisite corpse perfectly because if the severe fog rolls down the hillside with the future dog, that would make sense. It is the ghost and as it, and the ghost of the previous owner of this dog, who is a future dog to these two women. But I mean, yeah, this feels very dark. But I'm actually a little bit, I admit, terrified of writing a murder mystery because I don't generally read that genre and I don't have enough experience of it at the moment, certainly. Um, so I just feel like there'll be all sorts of reader expectations that I don't know how to fulfill. I mean, anyone can write anything as far as I'm concerned if you do your research in inverted commas about it. So if you read plenty of a particular genre, maybe read a book or two or three about how to write that genre, then you can learn and prepare yourself to do that. But is this really me? Um, but then again, I'm just, I'm just thinking how complicated this might be with, you've got to work out all your clues and come up with something really unexpected. But perhaps as a short story form, maybe it wouldn't be as complex. Well, obviously it wouldn't be as complex as writing a complete novel of that kind. On the other hand, if you only write a short story with this, how do you ensure the reader doesn't feel shortchanged? I'm guessing the way out of that would be to come up with a really big twist. Something really unexpected. Something the two friends have done or said or chanted during their Earth Power experiment has been the unexpected key to finding out about this murder. Or there's a connection between them that they hadn't realised, um, a connection between them and the previous owner, or maybe even the murderer. They know them. What if the murderer is their boss? <sighs> Wouldn't it be just awful if in some small way, however tiny, it was their fault that they said something or did something that triggered the murderer to actually carrying out the deed. Whether that's through the magic, some kind of mistake they made, stepping too far with it, or maybe if the murderer turns out to be their boss, it's just something one of them said casually, innocently in the office that is somehow, somehow set off uh, this, uh, this cycle of events, uh, beginning with the murder. Ooh, perhaps I'm talking myself into it now. Hmm. I can't help but think though, it would be, it would be a case of writing a separate story first. I'd, I'd probably have to write the, um, the murderer's story first, or maybe even the victim's story first. I'd have to get all of that completely straight even if it's just like a high-end account of what happened to them before I could hope to plot Jade and Chloe's story themselves. It's almost like a shadow story. It must exist in the background. Even if you don't tell it, you need certain a certain sequence of events and facts clear in your mind. And, you know, the whole reason why the murderer kills this uh, 
dog owner. It's all got to be there before you can write the actual story. I'm thinking this is one kind of story that you can't really do as a discovery writer like me. Unless, of course, I mean, I suppose I could still approach these separate layers, these layer stories in that manner. But yeah, it feels really dark. There's an awful lot going on here that feels quite new to me. Stories within stories, a lot to be explored. But for now, let us turn to new possibilities. I feel intrigued and excited about what might yet emerge from the socks of destiny. That's right. And as you may already know, an exquisite corpse randomizes words and phrases into a sentence that goes describing word noun, action describing word noun. And there are examples to help you make these types of word suggestions on my play page at anatizard.com should you choose to join in. But of course, there are other ways to join in. You can join in with me now doing a story brainstorm based on what comes out of the Socks of Destiny. Right, with no further ado, let me pull out our first word, our first describing word. This is from Mariah, immense. Okay, something or someone is immense. Let's delve right into the bottom of the noun sock. What have I got here? A few corked up together, let's have a look. This is from a Twitter ID. Uh, Yashal underscore Chisti, attorney, <laughs> an immense attorney, immensely powerful perhaps. Hmm. Let's see. So go into the action sock. Ooh, they're all getting, they're all getting stuck together. This is from another Twitter ID. It's. Sarah Jean M. <laughs> oh, this is brilliant. Got matching haircuts with. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is utterly ludicrous. Okay. <laughs> Always a challenge. Gotta love my challenges. Right. The next word is from Paul Thomas. Howling. <laughs> oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> or bad. I can't decide. What's the difference? Um, entertainment purposes. It can be better both. This is from <laughs> the inimitable Walk on Poo. With an H on the end. I have no idea <laughs> who would... Uh, who decided to call themselves this, but this is absolutely fine. This is a zany show. I welcome zany names. So this is <laughs> Velociraptor. <laughs> okay, let's just look at the whole exquisite corpse. We have, pens at the ready, ready people, the immense attorney got matching haircuts with 
the howling velociraptor. <laughs> oh dear. Well, I have to say, last time I checked, velociraptors and most dinosaurs I can think of right now, as I'm trying to picture them, um, they don't have hair. <laughs> so if you get a matching haircut with a howling velociraptor, I don't even know if they howl, they make those funny like cries, don't they? Scary, they're the really scary ones on Jurassic Park. Um, yeah, they just, <laughs> that would mean this immense attorney shaves her head. <laughs> so, hmm, that's just, that's just weird. But how can we turn this into an actual story idea? I think I need some green tea already. Let's give this a bit of a stir. Okay, so what if, okay, sometimes you just have to try and not take all of it um, literally. So what if the howling velociraptor is not an actual dinosaur, okay, because we agree they don't have haircuts, do they, because they don't have hair. So what if, what if the howling velociraptor is a piece of artwork, a painting. But then why, why is a powerful or immense attorney interested in copying a creature in a painting? Like who would paint a velociraptor with hair anyway? Okay, scrap that idea, that's ridiculous. So if it's not a painting, I think it's gonna have to be the nickname of an actual person. A, ra a rapper? <laughs> Ooh, the Velocirapper. <laughs> okay, let's see where this goes. Um, howling. That could mean someone laughing at them. Hmm. Someone laughing at the attorney. The, the howling Velocirapper. <laughs> um, what if... This immense attorney is still intimidated by a person they knew from school. At school, the attorney was always the geek, the quiet person, just got on with their work, um, very academic. And now, in later life, uh, very successful, they end up at a rap concert and they realise partway through the concert that this rapper is someone they knew from school who actually bullied them. That would be weird. And this whole idea perhaps they had when they were growing up was, oh, you know, I'll be okay because I'm, I'm sticking to my studies. I don't have to get on with these, you know, this, this person who's just a loudmouth in, in the playground, but then it turns out that that so-called loudmouth becomes really successful as a rapper with a dodgy name, but successful nonetheless. 
Hmm. And then what if, what if the attorney has got, uh, has actually won a special ticket to meet the person, meet the rapper, you know, um, behind, behind the curtain, as it were, uh, backstage. That's what I'm thinking of. Backstage, um, with or without a friend to go with. Ooh, and it could be really awkward. Aren't you the person who bullied me at school? Hmm. Okay, there's something there. Um, howling velociraptor haircuts. Yeah, that's that is a bit of a tricky one to have started off with, but let's give the game another go. Number two. Let this be good. Right. First word is from Fraser Armitage. <clears throat> Antiquated. Okay. Let's get our next word. This is from me. And it is... <laughs> Laundry. <laughs> Antiquated laundry. Um, does that mean it's just like really dirty clothes? You just haven't taken, haven't taken it to the laundrette or, or put it in the washing machine for such a long time that you could call it antiquated laundry. Okay, right. The action. This is from a Twitter ID, uh, Captain Random 10. Fantastic name. That is a, a really appropriate name considering... We work with randomization on this show. Um, this is built a golden throne for. Right, so we have laundry uh, that's antiquated, building a golden throne for someone. Right, got our work cut out for us today. What's next? This is from Anonymous. Grandiose. Hmm. I'm starting to see a bit of a pattern here of grand things, expensive things or old things. Things with history. The final word, the final noun is from Tom. <laughs> taco. <laughs> oh, I've never heard of a grandiose taco before, but hey, why not? I'm going to need some more green tea. My goodness. Okay. Right, let's just read the whole thing through. <laughs> Brace yourself. The antiquated laundry built a golden throne for the grandiose taco. Hmm. I do love a beanie tortilla with spices. But... Could one ever be so good that you'd want to build a throne for it? Out of antiquated fabric, actually you could you could use antiqua antiquated fabric. Um, broadly speaking, that's laundry. You know, come on, give me a little bit of wiggle room. Um, that could be used to create some kind of throne, a fabric throne. It just, it sounds like overdone imagery. Who would worship food like this? Is, I mean, is, is the throne just a, 
a very special kind of presentation platform. Maybe there's a wedding where instead of a cake, (laughs) they've decided to have a giant taco. They love Mexican food so much. Um, They've ordered a, a giant taco instead. Loads of cheese, by the way, added. Very nice. And it's presented in a beautiful throne-like platform. Ooh, who's getting married? Who would choose to, to do something like that for their wedding instead of a cake? Or it's revenge. Their actual wedding cake has been stolen. An ex, a jealous ex, has stolen their wedding cake and provided as some kind of weird joke a giant taco <laughs> on a golden throne <laughs> or maybe maybe they had um they're quite sort of uh, uh rich uh, the couple uh, are quite rich and everything they've had sort of golden this golden that everything's all very sparkly and expensive at this wedding of theirs so they happen to have this grand platform already for this enormous, beautiful cake, uh, specially made. But somehow this uh, this ex of, of one of them sneaks in, steals or destroys the cake and puts in, in its place <laughs> a giant taco. <laughs> the thief that gives back. That's very bizarre. Hmm, I'm not sure about this one. Hmm, I quite like the idea, though, of um, antiquated or antique fabric that has some kind of history, some kind of memory, and it's capable of being reshaped into something or reshaping itself. Perhaps if it was... um, an old tapestry or an old cloak or something, it it's absorbed the memories or the capabilities, the talents, the skills of the person that once wore it or owned it. And now it's ready to reshape itself into something. A throne? <laughs> uh, yeah, if you leave out the taco part, then then there's something here, something quite interesting I suppose it's just yeah you'd have to sort of think about um who is this character um and what what are those um what are the skills or or powers or memories that might be drawn into um a, a, a piece of fabric that then reshapes itself into something Ooh, I mean that's that again that's like the beginning of a story often these are the beginnings of ideas of stories and it's only when you sit down um, maybe for 20 minutes and just write something just try and see what happens where your imagination takes you and just yeah find out what your subconscious mind believes about this anyway I think it's time for another exquisite court I hope you find something that's a little bit more obviously story worthy Um, This is again from Captain Random, number 10. Broody. Okay. Well, there's two meanings of the word broody, isn't there? They're sort of um, moody and thoughtful or wanting to have babies. 
This the noun is from anonymous. Again, let's see what this is. Thief. The broody thief. Hmm. Let's give them an action. Let's see what this is. This is again from Anonymous. Killed humanity for. Wow, that's um that's a big action. Very big action. Far reaching. Let's see. Comes next. This is from Sarah Jean M. Philanthropical. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes, philanthropical. Oh, okay. That's interesting because would you would you kill all of humanity for the sake of saving somebody, uh, a philanthropist, someone who is very charitable and helps poor people? That would have to be an extremely, extremely good person. Even then, that wouldn't that would not work morally. Okay. What have we got left? One last word. This is from Alessandro Vase. <laughs> Shepherd. Right. Okay. Let me read out the whole thing. The broody thief killed humanity for the philanthropical shepherd. It just, it seems like opposites placed side by side. Big forces, an evil thief who kills humanity, um, and a philanthropical shepherd on the other side, a kind person. But how could how could a thief kill humanity for a philanthropical shepherd? What philanthropical shepherd would want humanity to be to be killed for them? It's too extreme somehow uh, but it also doesn't make any sense because if you kill humanity there's no one left including the shepherd so this is a very weird paradox we're trying to make sense of here i'm just thinking there is another way to interpret killing humanity and that is if you destroy the goodness in people the humanity in individual people. So a thief who steals kindness and compassion in people. That's quite a, a creepy kind of character. I imagine he has uh, a cloak <laughs> and an evil smile that you can only see in the dark. Um, yeah, but how did someone like that gets so evil. And again, we're stuck with this really weird paradox. How on earth would he kill humanity for a kind, charitable shepherd? Unless the thief kills humanity in himself in order to do something for the shepherd, to save them somehow. So the shepherd's in trouble, but there's something, there's something so dark about this exquisite corpse. It makes me feel like this is something apocalyptic. 
huge scary forces are at work and I'm getting this image of goodness shining in the dark. What if there's uh, this supernatural storm coming, some kind of apocalypse coming and goodness in people glows um, and this dark power is seeking out compassion in people, the humanity in people to destroy it. And this shepherd is so good that his soul glows like a beacon for miles. Maybe the thief and the shepherd are brothers and they grew up on a farm together. The younger brother stayed and decided to carry on with the family business. That's the shepherd who's good. The thief is the older brother who left home trying to seek his own way, but kind of it all fell by the wayside. He ended up stealing. And so he's lost some of his humanity along the way. In this supernatural storm where there's a kind of blue-grey light filtering down through a, a cloud weighing so heavily you can actually feel the moisture, the icky moisture in the air as it seeks out humanity to kill it. And the thief, you, can, you can't see him at all, you can hardly see him at all, he just has a tiny glow of goodness left, whereas the shepherd is beaming out this light. And so the thief has rushed back home to hide, like everyone's hiding, uh, from this scary power that's going to destroy what's left of goodness in humanity. And they're both hiding in a barn, uh, thrown together with some sheep, because they just thought maybe they're better hidden that way. But in order to destroy, no, not to destroy, in order to protect the shepherd, the thief decides to destroy the very last of his own humanity and become completely opaque so he can cover, literally cover his brother and hide him from this, this shadow that's seeking out the light. What does he do? Does he kill a lamb? for no reason at all, specifically intending not to use the meat and not to use the wool, to destroy the last strain of his own humanity so he can cover the brightness, hide the brightness that is his brother. Oh gosh, this is really dark, <laughs> really dark. But at the same time, it's, it's still a paradox because is is that an act of destroying your humanity because he's still doing it to save his brother? So it kind of begs the question, is it truly possible to be utterly without kindness if you are alive and you want to be loved or you love something or someone? There's always hope. So kind of grisly, kind of dark, not really my cup of tea, but... There's, some, there's something there, if you're into dark fantasy, maybe this is the beginnings of something that you could explore. So, <laughs> looking back, setting aside the darkness, looking back, what do we have uh, from today's brainstorium? Um, as story fodder, we have an attorney 
successful and comfortable in their own way, but finding himself idolising a rapper who turns out to be an old enemy from school. And a very awkward uh, confrontation as they discover they have matching haircuts. Interesting. Um, Or the next one was the taco one. And, oh yes, the wedding. A bizarre symbolic revenge from an ex who uses a giant taco on a throne as his or her weapon of choice, symbolic weapon of choice. Uh, maybe it was uh, maybe it was their favourite meal together when they were a couple, uh, with the you know with the groom or, or the bride, and so this will have uh, this will send shockwaves and spicy sauce <laughs> into the wedding. Ooh, what could spicy sauce do to a white clean wedding dress? Extreme damage, I feel. Um, and then the one that I the one that I liked really was. Um, a kind of sidestep away from the one about the laundry. So the fabric that can absorb the memories or skills or talents of someone um, and then reshape itself, perhaps by its own will or by the will that it's absorbed from that person who owned it. Ooh, I like this because I'm thinking about disguise and what if it pretends then to uh, bend to the will of, of another person, perhaps a new, um, you know, another wizard who picks up this garment and is like, yes, this will, this will help me, this will enhance my skills and talents and blah, 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 by taking those on. Because if, if the garment has a will of its own, then it's pretending perhaps to cooperate with this wizard. And then you have a disguise that is a disguise. A kind of weird cyclical logic. Um, And yes, we did get stuck in some cyclical logic with the apocalyptic one. Um, But that was, that was incredibly dark. I feel like, I'm not sure how, how far down that story alleyway I'd really be comfortable to wander because I've been realising lately that one of the reasons that I do this podcast and why I write is it's more than entertaining people. I do kind of want to give people a little bit of happiness and hope because to me, inspiration is more than just ping an idea. It's the ability to imagine better. And so it's somehow not quite in my writing DNA or nothing that I've really found so far that, you know, that really allows me or encourages me to go down that road of something really dark. Um, maybe one day we'll see. I just think there's, there's more than enough stress in real life. And you want to give someone um, a piece of escapism, a bit of light in their lives. You go a little bit dark, just so then you've got the relief of things hopefully working out, or at least half working out at the end. Anyway, that's plenty of blah from me, I think, for today. I hope I have inspired you and entertained you. And um, yeah, there's nothing more for me to say other than go forth 
and be inspired. I hope you enjoyed today's brainstorium. You can find out more about Exquisite Corpse and my series, The Book of Exquisite Corpse, at anatizard.com. Subscribe to my e-newsletter and you'll get volume one for free. And while you're there, why not submit a few words to the Socks of Destiny on my play page? You may inspire me or inspire yourself to write a unique new story. See you next time.